Hey ho, you are listening to the first pilot edition of the WrestleMania podcast. Yay! My name is John Stoddart and I'm your host here on the podcast. Unfortunately joined by no one as I am locked, well not locked in the room, but I'm in a little fucking dungeon of a room in my office and work. It's the only place I can get anywhere that's soundproof, free from kids, noises, printers, etc. So you may be wondering what the hell this is all about. Basically, one day I had a brilliant idea to sit and watch all WrestleMania in the lunch at work. Well, so I don't have that long a lunch to be able to watch them all, but watch them in an hour increments. So, working my way through, I got the idea. Do you know what? It would be good if someone actually documented what the fuck actually happened over the years, because when you look at WrestleMania 1, and you watch all the way up to today. You can say obviously it's come a long way, but really, has anyone actually ever wondered, like, is it actually any good? You know, we watch WrestleMania and like we enjoy it. It's good matches and there's a lot of memorable moments. But then we watch WrestleMania sometimes. We go, do you know what? That was fucking shit. Or in WrestleMania 32's case, fuck me, that went on for hours. What I'm going to do is basically I'm going to work my way through every single Wrestlemania and review them. So just before we crack on I give you a rundown of what we're actually going to do. I said my name is John Storart, I am in my 30s, I'm from Glasgow in Scotland or Glasgow if you're from America. I'm a wrestling fan, I've been into wrestling since I was maybe about 7-8 years old. To tell you the truth, the actual first wrestling event I ever watched was SummerSlam 92, which was at Wembley Stadium of course. I thought it was amazing that a football stadium that I usually watched, like the FA Cup finals and stuff on, was hosting this big wrestling event, it was amazing. That was the first one like I watched properly, but going before that, WrestleMania 8 was my first exposure to the WWF. My dad, he grew up with World of Sport and he came home from work one day and he told me about this thing, he's like, John, John, there's, there's this wrestling thing, do you know how like, we play wrestling? Well, it's going to be on the telly tonight, do you want to watch it? And I was only like, what, no, I've been seven years old, so I didn't get to stay up, he taped it, no classic video, watched it the next day, pretended to me it was live, you know, I'm sitting there like, nah, Monday afternoon, I wasn't at school the next day, it was Easter holidays. And he's like tricking me into thinking this is live, and I'm like, whoa! I remember watching it. It was like this big stadium. It was uh, Indianapolis. I mean, like, it was for a seven-year-old to never see wrestling before and then see this. It's fucking mind-blowing. I remember being blown away just by the name Indianapolis. I was like, whoa! It sounds like this pure futuristic metropolis. Probably isn't in real life. I've never been there. I can't comment. That was where I first got interested in wrestling. But like the first proper full-on event I ever watched, from start to finish, was SummerSlam '92. So I got into WWF and that, I kind of watched it on and off, you know, over the years. I kind of stopped watching after WrestleMania 11, didn't really enjoy it. I remember watching 12 uh, for the Ironman match, but I didn't, watch, didn't see 13. Uh, I was interested in 14 enough, so I've seen that. I remember watching that uh, when my friends in school were talking about it. But in general, I kind of lapsed quite a few times, you know, wrestling, but I always seem to come back to it. And more recently, I came back to it after WrestleMania 31 when I discovered the network and having all of like, the classic pay-per-views as well as being able to keep up to date with what's going on is awesome, you know. Now, I'm not advocating, I'm not trying to sell that, but like, to be honest, I, I don't see how people can complain. You know, £10 worth of money, you know, for a month to be able to see it all and what we live, like a lot of kind of 
childhood moments and stuff. Also as an adult, like it's really good to look back and realise how shite some of it really was. So like my favourite WrestleMania if I had to pick. I'm kinda I've got a geeky thing about like I like stadiums, I like the architecture of stadiums. So seeing WrestleMania in big like football stadiums, that's really cool. I love seeing that and I love like the entrance setups. Like 24, I love to like the whole like kinda Miami setup and all that. It was really cool seeing that, but like WrestleMania 6 was a big standout one for me. Hogan vs Warrior is probably one of my favourite ever WrestleMania matches of all time. Still is. Rock Hogan is another one, like Rock goes out as the face and comes back the heel. Like it, it was fucking unbelievable to sit and watching that live. So like really less WrestleMania is described as the granddaddy of them all and for me it is in my opinion, it's supposed to be the biggest event of the year. When I was sitting watching these back in my lunch, I just kind of felt like, you know, some of these were really bad, but some of them were pretty good, you know. So that's the whole point in me kind of doing this with the podcast is that I'm going to go through each episode and I'm hopefully going to provide, you know, a good enough review, decent review, hopefully have some laughs along the way and you know, fingers crossed, we can get some people to join us at some point. We are on Twitter, we are at WrestleManiaPod. Uh, we've also got our email address, WrestleManiaPodcast at gmail.com. So if anyone, you know, even if you just want to email and give us your thoughts on your favourite WrestleMania moments and stuff like that, please tweet away, email away, or if you just want to give me some abuse because you're like, mate, this is fucking shit and all that, you know, just give me abuse. I'll read it out. I'm, I'm, I'm quite thick-skinned, so we can have a laugh, like, so if you want to roast me, on you go, because I know my voice isn't exactly the most prettiest to listen to, probably, and the sound quality, you know, for this first episode is probably not going to be great, so, oh well, fuck it, but just remember, this is just, like, our first episode, like, really, this is a proof of concept, and proving that it works, I've had some good advice, uh, which I'd like to then, I'd like to thank uh, Kenny McIntosh of Inside the Ropes uh, and what culture, what, what culture, sorry, uh, Kenny gave me some good advice uh, on starting up a podcast, so thank you Kenny, and also to uh, Kevin Mann of the Attitude Era podcast, uh, Cinema Swirl and How to Wrestle, and all of which I'm big fans of, thank you Kevin, you're the one that told me, give it you can, behind this and just go for it, so fingers crossed this will work. Next step for me, just before we kind of crack on and actually start looking at WrestleMania 1, I'll give you a rundown of what kind of we're going to look at. As I said, if you want to email, tweet in, you know, we'll have like a mailbag section, which I've aptly named after Pat Patterson. <laughs> the reason being is his oldest son is three years old and he absolutely loves Postman Pat. So I was sitting there and I was watching I can't, I was watching a, no sorry, I was listening to that Shudira podcast and they were talking about Pat Patterson and just around about that time like Postman Pat came ahead and I thought, oh, Postman Pat Patterson. So our mailbag section is aptly tell Postman Pat Patterson's intercontinental mailbag. So if you email in, message or whatever, you know, that's the section you'll be included in. In terms of actually reviewing you know, the WrestleManias, we're not just going to actually review the matches, you know, I'm actually going to look at WrestleMania as a whole, so I'm going to look at things like the arena it was in, like, what was the venue like, talk about the attendance, because that's always a kind of sticking point, you know, with WWE, you know, they say, oh, X amount of people turned up and really, you know, nah, 
you're kind of lying there, Vince. You know. So we're gonna we'll talk about stuff like that. You know, look at things like tagline. Talk about music because music does play a really big part in WrestleMania. There'll be that live bands like performing. You know, like DX band doing the national anthem at WrestleMania 14. You know, shit like that. To you know, like Limp Bizkit at WrestleMania 19. You know, and so on. So we'll talk about like the kind of music, like live performances, as well as like the actual theme music, because WrestleMania has had some good theme music over the years. We'll even look at the DVD covers, you know, you know, because we've got the classic ones like the kind of blue, kind of purpley thunder, you know. And you'll look at the kind of, you know, the design of that. But in going back to like the arena, we'll like we'll look at the actual setup, you know, because you think WrestleMania one, like as you'll hear, like it starts from just basically what you would look at as not even like a house show these days to look at like the spectacle that is today so well let's kind of look at like oh, what's the setup of the arena like you know is it kind of cool you know or anything like that is that a good design you know if anybody's interested in that i'm interested in that because i really like the design of the stages in wrestlemania so that's why i'm going to cover it and then just looking at lastly before we get into the actual run through the events we'll talk over the card and any kind of notebook storylines you know and then we'll get into it and obviously go through wrestlemania as a whole and after we finish that we'll you'll, you'll look at the aftermath you know kind of what was the fallout from wrestlemania and then pick out kind of like moments you know like the calling night and for the commentators say if we pick out a kind of notable sign from the crowd any botches that we thought were funny you know we'll pick a man of the hour you know somebody who really stood out to us any breakout stars like somebody who's new to the scene or making their debut it's like wow fuck such and such was fucking amazing tonight you know or a notable mention but the last thing we will actually look at is the time in ring, as in how long all the matches lasted, against the length of the actual pay-per-view. And that's really to answer the question, was this a wrestling show, or was it a show? You know, and to be honest, we'll probably find along the way that there's not enough wrestling in any WrestleMania. And... I've already looked at some of the match lengths and it's like fucking hell man, like it's unbelievable. So well, that's you know it's just a minor thing, but like really we'll we're kinda that's gonna answer the question. Was this WrestleMania worth it, you know? Because other pay-per-view events through the years eh, through the year, sorry, can I get rated better, you know, than WrestleMania because it's actual wrestling, you know. But it's the whole concept of what WrestleMania it's supposed to be about the kind of spectacle, you know, celebrities and all that. Uh, and then finally, we will give the ten count, which is basically our marks out of ten for the WrestleMania. So if it's a good gene, you know, it'll be anything above a five count, you know, you know, and ten count will be the best WrestleMania ever. Which you never know, you might see if there is along the way. So you know, that's the run through the podcast. So. I guess there's nothing else to do but get the formalities out of the way and look at WrestleMania 1! epic than I was probably expecting that to be but nevertheless that was the thing welcome us to Wrestlemania 1 
So, WrestleMania was in 1985, it was held in Madison Square Garden, but before that, uh, we had the territorial area, so all wrestling promotions would kind of run events within a specific geographical territory, due to cable TV and, you know, a certain aggressive promoter named Vincent McMahon, they kind of changed the model of that. Basically, Vince started to basically go into other territories, something that his dad had a kind of gentleman's agreement with all promoters. He broke rules amongst the promoters, like I said, and expanded beyond the Northeast Territory. So they were, you know, obviously, WWE headquarters is in Connecticut. So they kind of obviously branched out further, further across the states have the ultimate goal of being the wrestling promotion. At the time, there was two major companies that were a threat to WWF, and that's the AWA and Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA. They used to actually join forces for live events within WWF, as we'll also refer to as the time, their northeast market. And in addition, the world-class territory in Texas had the largest attended event in wrestling history in 1984 and they already were getting programming shown internationally which is news to me, I'd never heard of them until I was doing my research into this episode. So by 1985 Vince had knocked other companies out of business and was aggressively expanding through America. Now this was really expensive and not all of the wrestling fans enjoyed Vince's brand of sports entertainment. So what he had to do is he had to obviously expand the audience. He couldn't just go with the traditional professional wrestling fans. So he did this by trying to incorporate celebrities and being more open with the press. It was dubbed the Rock and Wrestling Connection. But in in line with this, Vince said to like, you know, the guys from the company, we need to create our own Super Bowl type of event. In his mind was WrestleMania. Now, it was actually Howard Finkel that came up with the name WrestleMania when he mentioned Beatlemania. So the name was taken on there from the Fink, believe it or not. But the, the kind of major risk with this was WWF were putting a lot of eggs in one basket to try and put so much time and effort into one show that if this wasn't successful, the company could have possibly went out of business. So on the road to WrestleMania, the press started to kind of hype up the event with two incidents. So on one occasion, um, a Dr. David Schultz assaulted 2020 reporter John Stossel. Yes, Stossel. Uh, and on another occasion, Hulk Hogan famously injured Richard Belzer, where he applied a wrestling hold too hard. Now, I use the term too hard quite loosely. He put him in a rear... No, sorry, a front chin lock, right? A move that's said to cut off the flow of blood to the brain. Belzer fell to the floor unconscious and began to bleed profusely. He made claims that he banged his head. I've watched the footage myself, not too sure, but nonetheless he required eight stitches and later sued Hogan for $5 million. Lastly, in terms of press on the good side, Hulk Hogan and Mr T hosted Saturday Night Live to help promote the event. That's basically how, kind of basic kind of brief overlay on how WrestleMania came about, you know, in the kind of run up. In the run-up for WWE's point of view, they, uh, they had a show called Tuesday Night Titans, which, if you've, ever, if you've never watched this, I invite you to go and watch it. Uh, in preparation for this episode, I watched it for the very first time, and I was surprised. Yeah, you can see I was surprised to find it to be garbage, frankly. WWF 
was an attempt of Vince McMahon hosting his own talk show like Lerman when he'd get stars on and they type up matches and show you some maybe matches. It's a precursor to like, you know, printing wrestling and such, you know. It has its moments, but it was a good tool for WWF to help actually promote their own event. Uh, as we'll later discover uh, when we talk and specifically uh, about the main event and we talk about the build up and hype and the story around that. Getting into WrestleMania finally. We had WrestleMania at Madison Square Garden. Now, Madison Square Garden is one of the most famous arenas in the world, without a doubt. It's hosted, you know, major events over the year. WWF actually used to put on a lot of smaller shows in Madison Square Garden to the point that obviously as we know that WWF are in the Hall of Fame, Vince McMahon in the Garden Hall of Fame really. You know, they've went back many times since, you know, they've been obviously back for WrestleMania 10 and 20. Chose not to go back for 30, quite early, but that's down to Vince McMahon saying that WrestleMania should be in the biggest arenas, in the biggest venues possible, not small arenas. But really, what he means is we get more money out of stadiums. You know, ticket money, we could make like $18 million selling tickets for this thing. Yeah, get in a stadium. The overall attendance at WrestleMania 1 was reported by Gorilla Monsoon on the night has been over 25,000 people. The actual attendance was 19,121. So already you can see WDF swelling the numbers. You know, 25,000 does sound you know better than 19,000, even 20. It sounds like it's jam-packed. And seeing some of the footage, you know, the way Madison Square Garden is, it's, it can be quite a dark arena with you know very little production costs in terms of what you get now if you were to go to the garden for WWF they could pack more seats in you know some of the wide angle shots that you see through Wrestlemania 1 it looks like it's just a sea of people so really you could believe there was actually 25,000 there and who knows maybe there was maybe there wasn't so in addition to this the event was shown on closed circuit television now it was shown on kind of mostly big screens and arenas throughout um, America as well as some select cinemas. It was also said that um, in one arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Civic Arena, the CCTV broadcast actually stopped because of a technical glitch and to appease angry fans, what they actually did, well the angry fans, sorry, pelted the screen with garbage. I think it's easy to forget that you know, fans back in like, the 80s were quite rowdy. You know, especially when this has been hyped up to be this big extravaganza. Uh, so what they actually did was they broadcasted the WrestleMania in its entirety on a local ABC affiliate uh, two weeks later. So that that's that's the kind of exposure it had in terms of broadcasting it. Actually getting down now into the arena. As I mentioned earlier on, WrestleMania 1, you know, the kind of setup when you look back now doesn't really look even like a house show, really. All, you've really, all we've kind of see we've really got here is we've got the standard blue ring, you know, red, white and blue ropes. It's the proper hard mat style, I mean, there's no give in that canvas, you know. There's no padding even at ringside, it's just exposed concrete floor. Um, the hard cam is above the typical Madison Square Garden entrance exit that they use. And in terms of the actual entrance itself, the, the, the exit is just opened, you know. And you can see people come in and out, you know, there's nothing there, so very limited in terms of production, but that was the style back then, you know, this is before WWF or actual creating entrance, even just put a WWF sign up there. It looks kind of very limited, 
Looking at the card, so we've got about nine matches we've got here. Our opener will see Tito Santana take on the Executioner. Then we'll have King Kong Bundy, who we'll see a few times through the podcast, taking on Special Delivery Jones. Coming up after that will be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat uh, against Matt Bourne. Then we have the son of, described as the legend of WWF, that's Bruno San Martino. His son David San Martino will take on Brutus Beefcake. Now he's not known as the barber at this point. He's accompanied by the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who sadly will not have his megaphone tonight, which is an absolute gutter for me because some of Jimmy Hart's best moments, or most annoying moments, depending on how you look at it, are with his megaphone, you know, screaming, Come on, baby! After that, we've got the Intercontinental Championship, where Greg the Hammer Valentine, the reigning champion, takes on JYD, the Junkyard Dog. And in another title match, we've got the Tag Team Championship, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik take on the US Express. That's Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham. If you know the name Rotundo, which I'm sure you do, you'll know that that is IRS, who is also the father of one Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt. After that, we've got the Body Slam challenge for $15,000 where Big John Stud has challenged Andre the Giant. Now if Andre fails to slam Stud during this match he must retire. Then after that going into the Women's Championship Wendy Richter taking on Leilani Kai who's the champion. And then finally our main event. Now the WWF Championship is not on the line tonight which is probably the only WrestleMania we will see where it is not up for grabs. So we've got Hulk Hogan and Mr. T taking on Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, which should be a great contest. I mean, certainly in the run-up, like, Alfred Hayes described it as possibly the greatest wrestling match that will happen. But we'll see how we get on with that, eh? So just before we actually get into looking at the cars, just a couple of wee things here. The tagline of WrestleMania 1 was the greatest wrestling event of all time. The logo that they use for it is the standard classic WrestleMania logo. Obviously, it's WrestleMania 1, so it's the first time it's going to be used. Uh, and last but not, no means least, we'll look at the DVD cover for WrestleMania 1. So, there's no spoilers really on the DVD cover. The DVD cover has got the, the you know, kind of purpley lightning. Hulk Hogan is on the front of it, you know, tape round his right hand, fist in the air. Come on, brother! You know, nearly two hours of action, apparently. It's the beginning of a traditional event. <laughs> Excitement and glamour. Okay, and on the back, we've got some pictures of Muhammad Ali, who's the guest referee for the main event tonight. Mr. T with Roddy Roddy Piper on the shoulders, and a shot of John Studd and Andre the Giant in action. And of course, the card is running down on the back as well. So, the event took place on 31st of March 1985, New York, Madison Square Garden. So, let's get into it now. So the music you're hearing is the official theme for WrestleMania 1. Uh, and as this plays on, the package you get is basically kind of a slideshow. It's typical Windows Media Player kind of slideshow. It's got pictures of the performers. We'll see through the evening with the WrestleMania logo bang in the middle. It's quite chill out, isn't it? Na, 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 na. 
Sorry about my bad singing there. Well, there's no pyro or anything like that, it's sad, you know, how awesome it would be, like, <laughs> you know. So, we get into the actual arena, we see the crowd, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura are commentators. And we hear the Fink introduce us to WrestleMania, which you heard earlier on in our epic introduction part to the actual episode. So obviously with every WrestleMania we get the national anthem and who is going to grace us with their fine tones tonight? Why it's me and Gene Oakland. Interesting choice, eh? Of all the singers in the world at the time, they go by me and Gene. Hmm. Okay. If that's what you want. So me and Gene sings the Star Spangled Banner, not America the Beautiful. And he does his best to properly sing it, like he's gone like poor Robert Gooley with us. If you don't know who Robert Gooley is, look it up. So he's got his little note sheet with the words on it. As you know, it's probably a nerve-wracking moment for me and Jean, so don't blame him really. So he's singing it, and he gets to like just right before the last bit, and goes, EVERYBODY! <laughs> it's just like, it's not really like a song to cheer people up, but whatever me and Jean. You've done your element, go for it, son. So Jesse actually even says, like, me Gene is up there with Robert Gooley, that's how good he thinks his singing is. So, Gorilla Monsoon leads us backstage, when I say backstage, I mean at the exit, to Lord Albert Hayes, who's our uh, co-host for WrestleMania. And he greets by saying, thank you, Gino. Gino? Who the f- Who's Gino? When he said that, I just immediately had like, I dream of genie in my head. And I don't know if this is a running joke or not, but you know, like, maybe Albert Hayes really does dream of Gorilla Monsoon. I don't know. <laughs> so, Lord Albert with a massive earpiece in his head, looking like Lando Calrissian's robot out of the Empire Strikes Back, introduce an opening contest from the entrance, and the executioner just walks out to the ring behind him. You know, we've not got any music, because this is like back in the 80s. So, he then says, we're going to go back to Mean Gene um, and have an interview with Tito Santana. So, we've known nothing about the executioner. At this point, just before we go to Tito Santana, so who the hell is he? You'd think out the two of them, maybe interview the executioner, you know, he's new in the scene at the time. Who is this guy? What's he want? Where's he going, you know? No, we got Tito Santana. So Tito says that he respects anyone, but not the executioner. And he's going to have to respect this, because this is the big leagues, you know. You know, until this point, you know, the way he kind of puts that across is if, yeah, we've got WrestleMania now, this is the big leagues, yeah, this is where it's at, this is where the big boys play. To quote Eric Bischoff, this is a pre-recorded interview backstage in proper locker rooms, which is funny because further down the line, WWF like to build their own fake locker rooms, so it's in the actual locker rooms in Madison Square Garden. So the executioner then comes in, literally walks in as Tito Santana steps away, you know, and warns that I'm going to go after your leg, Tito. Greg the Hammer Valentine, hurt your leg. I'm a big leaguer, you know. I was just waiting for him to go woo, because looking at him, all I could think about was the blue blazer. And then, the next thing I could think about is how the executioner, his mask, he just looks like a, a shit, worried-looking Bane from the Batman films. Uh, which, if you've seen the tour, you'll have seen the expectations versus reality memory we've put up there. 
we get Teal Santana coming out, big cheer for him, you know, and the introductions from the Fink. There's a 20 minute time limit on the match. Now, at the time, as standard, there was a 20 minute time limit on all matches, unless it was a title match. So the execution apparently is from parts unknown and his weight's unknown. Wait a minute. I mean, surely you weigh your wrestlers. You know, why would you announce the weight unless you actually weigh them? So, no idea about that. But Teal gets a good reaction from the crowd. So we got underway with our first match as both men on lock up. And we get an instant crisscross by both and a big back body drop and drop kick from Tito setting the executioner outside onto the exposed concrete floor. Jesse tells us that Woodstock is to rock and roll what WrestleMania is to professional wrestling. Immediately putting up this is one of the biggest events and the biggest extravaganzas ever. The executioner comes back in, Tito gets a side headlock in. He tries to force him into the corner, but Tito nicely using the turnbuckle to flip around a bulldog style over to get a two count, our first pin at WrestleMania. The executioner retreats over at the corner. Notice at this point the ropes are like ridiculously loose. Like I don't feel that there's any way anyone can go up top in that. It's like so shaky compared to where the way it's like now where the ropes are so sturdy. The executioner they gets the upper hand and walks away in Tito's legs just like he said he would. But Tito is quickly back up on his feet uh, with the executioner pleading at Tito. But Tito just whips him bang right into the opposite corner. The executioner then blocks a possible pile driver attempt and scoop slams Teal. He actually then goes up top, proving that yep, you can go up on top ropes. They are obviously strong enough and tight enough to take a man's body. Teal press slams him and then goes off the ropes and tries to hit a splash, but the executioner gets the knees up. The executioner then gets back in his feet, goes for the leg again, but Teal kicks him. Teal goes off the ropes, hits a high flying forearm, and then locks in the figure four. It's a massive pop from the crowd, well I say massive, it's a big pop really from the crowd. The referee calls out in the bell, and it's over, alright. The executioner didn't actually tap, so he must have verbally said, but Tito Santana wins. Fink announces our winner, and there's no music obviously to play out, Tito, no arriba. But Tito looked pretty good, that's on this match. He's an early, like I said earlier, he was an early favourite of mine when I was younger, I quite liked him. But I mostly saw him as El Matador days, so when I saw just actual Tito Santana, this for the very first time, it was actually quite good to just see the technical wrestler. Which is sad because when he became El Matador, at that point it kind of felt like that it was gone. At that point, you know, not really gone, you know, but kind of held back maybe. Kind of felt sorry for the executioner. He tries to come across as a bit of a badass, but really I just felt like he's no better than a glorified jobber here. So sadly this is the, the one and only appearance of the executioner at WrestleMania. The executioner, if you didn't know, was a man named Buddy Rose. First started working for the WWF in 82-83. He'd often work 90 days in a row. He rarely, rarely would ever take time off. He actually fought Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden for the title. And also fought the likes of Pedro Morales as well. He had another run in 1990. Left around about 91. He gained a lot of weight at that point. He'd turned into a comical gimmick dating back to his AWA days <laughs> when they had ring announced so we did introduce him list his weight at like 271 pounds but Buddy would angrily then take the microphone away from him and would flip the seven around and claim it would a slim trim 217 pounds this would bait the crowd into a booing frenzy just by a weird heelish tactic yeah I, I'm, I'm not the fat bastard this ring announcer says I am BOO on occasion he would do one-handed push-ups and kip-ups and then and challenge his more muscular opponents to a pose-down. 
Buddy did claim that it was Vince McMahon who said, I want everyone to work out except for Buddy, knowing that Buddy's weight was his gimmick. He was used mostly as enhancement talent during this run. He never really won. He'd only won, went under against undercard wrestlers and would lose all his matches on TV, most notably against Kerry Von Erich in Von Erich's debut at Saturday Night's main event. So we go back to Alfred Hayes now and he's here to introduce our next match which is King Kong Bundy vs Special Delivery Jones as Jones walks out right behind him. We then go to see Mean Gene interviewing SD Jones. He's the man and he's ready. Today's his day and he's gonna get down for us. King Kong is King I've actually wrote my notes here King Kong. Wow, if it really was fucking King Kong this would be a totally different match. King Kong Bundy's here with Jimmy Hart and fuck me King Kong Bundy is fat. Like, you know how you get big wrestlers? Well, King Kong Bundy looks like he's just done the couch to wrestling ring training programme. Literally, no, or not the training programme, he's literally just walked into the ring. I think he introduces Jimmy Hart, who's very young looking here, and he's got a white music jacket on, but no megaphone, as I said earlier on, sadly. Damn it! Bundy gets introduced first, and then SD Jones gets introduced. Wonder why he's called Specially Delivery Jones? Like, is he a postman? When I actually looked tennis for apparently he used to work for a telephone company. Don't know if they do any special deliveries, you know. Unless it's some sort of seedy, kind of over the phone job. So we get underway here, Jones goes off the ropes, but Bundy quickly picks him up and rams him into the corner, hits a splash, off the ropes, big splash, one, two, three, it's over. What I literally just read out to you in terms of the match is literally everything that happens. The official match time was nine seconds, Jones got no offence at all, and Gorilla Monsoon tells us that the old record of 23 seconds has been smashed. In fact, from bail to pinfall, the match lasted 25 seconds, but the whole I think the whole point in this match was to break a record for the quickest match ever in a wrestling ring. So let's just forget about that match ever happening, we can move straight on to Mean Gene in the locker room, he's with Matt Bourne. Uh, that name's familiar. Not Evan Bourne. Nope, not thinking of him. Wonder if this guy's got a sense of humour. Hmm, we'll have to find it. So Bourne is there and he says, I'm ready to beat up Ricky Steamboat. Ricky comes in telling us that this is his biggest test today and this is the biggest extravaganza. We go back to ringside and we get a close-up of Jesse the Body Ventura's Tux. If you actually go on to our day, what do they call it on Twitter? They call it the, it's like the special mo moments, that's it, moments. Go on to moments on Twitter and you'll see our uh, couple of screen grabs we've taken from WrestleMania 1. Get a good look at the body's tux. And he's rocking a bandana, obviously, to make himself look badass. And forgive him for what looks like an awful tux. So, on our next match, it's Ricky Steamboat versus Doink, I mean, Matt Bourne. I think there's his introductions. At this point I realise we're actually 20 minutes into WrestleMania and we're on to match number 3. Fuck me, it's fucking, fucking fast here. So both men lock up. Steamboat, Leapfrogs and Clotheslines Bourne. We got a chin lock, which Bourne then tries to back draw body attempt him twice. But Ricky keeps getting the hole back on. Second time, hits an atomic drop and back into another headlock. It's like Ricky's just constantly just trying to keep him on holds here at this point. Bourne hits an atomic and it gets a stiff knee to the head onto Ricky. Stiff chop in the corner. Woo! And Ricky whipped across the ring. Got a single axe handle off the second rope by Ricky. Ricky. Ricky Ricky. Ooh, call him Ricky. Wicky Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. 
Yeah, and back in the other side, Lodlock, fuck me, he absolutely loves this hold. He just loves fucking holding him in a headlock. We get a very loud, boring, which at that point when I looked at it, I thought, fuck yeah, actually, yeah. That is quite boring. Literally, at this point, most of the match so far, I mean, it may be only like, a couple of minutes in, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was basically Matt Bond and I had side headlock for most of this match so far. Given that the way wrestling was in the 1980s, you see what it's like back then to be a fan then, like, wrestling was just fucking awesome all the time. Hearing that a fan in the 80s shout boring, especially when it's somebody like Ricky Steamboat, is like, fuck. It's not great, but <laughs> moving on, nice gut range suplex from Matt Bomb and hits a front suplex himself, gets a two count. Steamboat then with a delayed back suplex and neck breaker. Fucking night, pulling out the moves now, it's no bone anymore. Ricky hits a knee to the head from the corner and then a knee to Sterling for a two count. Gorilla's like, no way! That attempt to a pin, trying to put over like, no, there's no way you're going to put him away. No way, come on, finish him off. So both men come off the rope, Steamboat knocks Bone down and goes up top and hits a big cross body for a three count. No splash, no anything. No, one, two, three. And we're over. Ah. So in this one, like, Matt Bond, it wasn't really that great, but as I name-dropped the, the person we'll see him at later on, maybe some, there's some good days ahead of young Matt. As for Ricky Dragon Steamboat, well, Ricky Steamboat is just, he's one of the best in-ring guys. You know, I kind of was watching this, like, quite annoyed when the guy chanted boring. Um, kind of, no, not fair, to be honest. So Fink announces the winner, and like, at this point I'm kind of like, well, this is like old school, but two men stand next to the ring, and Bolton knows he's lost. It's, it's like, you know, like for modern day fans, it's like the end of the Cruiserweight Classic matches, where both men are there, you know, hang its raises, like ring of honours too, you know. So go back to Alfred Hayes, who has a programme in the hand this time. See Ricky coming by as luscious Johnny Valiant and Brutus walk in front of the camera with Johnny going, wake up, hey, wake up! Whoops, and there's Matt Bond nearly walking in front of the camera, realises and shits himself, so quickly makes a swift exit behind Alfred. Go back to our interviews late earlier in the day. Mean Gene, who has got David San Martino and his legendary dad Bruno. David is ready, he's been training hard for this, which generally, like, when you look at David, you actually believe the words he's saying because it doesn't really look like a wrestler. You know, he's an amateur wrestler, he looks all the amateur wrestler. Brutus is in for a big surprise. Bruno then threatens to knock out Valiant if he gets involved. So in comes Valiant and Beefcake, who literally, like, the kind of flash to them leaving, you actually get the end of the San Martinos leaving as the other two come in. It's like, it's not, they're not even cutting it well to show, oh, these are two separate interviews. It's like, good guys on one side of the room, bad guys on the other side. And it's like, nah. Back then, if that happened, they'd start fighting each other, you know. The whole idea, you know, kayfabe is that they shouldn't be next to each other unless they're in the ring, you know. Anyway, so Valiant starts off by telling us that Bruno's hands are a watch, tells Beefcake what to do, and says to Beefcake, tell him what you're gonna do, and then stands in front of the camera with his back to the camera as Beefcake just blows raspberries. And this, in this part of the interview, Valiant did look more up for than Brutus. Brutus literally just goes, you know. It's just in Valiant coming across as my son could kick your son's ass. But Dad, I don't want to fight. 
that's what it's like. <laughs> so we go right back to the ring. Beefcake and Valiant are already in there as we've seen them walk out previously. Apparently Beefcake is from Parts Unknown. Sadly not the barber shop yet. San Martino's come running out to a pop, if you'll call it that. Bit of cheer. So Bruno's describes a living legend and he does get a big reaction from the crowd. Got a high angle shot looking down the ring, the arena looks absolutely massive. But in future manias like Madison Square Garden looks so much smaller. It's just the way the lighting is and the kind of high angled shot it makes it look like there's a masses and masses of crowd. But they'll definitely make this out as a massive event, you can see it even from like shots like this. The referee runs over the rules with both men's and managers. It's like it's got that kind of fight, actual fight feel about it. The referee's telling Johnny to get out and starts a five count, but stops when he realised, oh shit, he's not going to move. Uh, I can't disqualify him. So we got Johnny and Brutus just purely stolen here. Brutus gets called Brutai by Gorilla Monsoon, which I've no idea. Does this mean there's more than one Brutus beefcake? Like there's a whole gang of Brutais? You know, cutting down, you know, with our, uh, no pun intended, cutting down, <laughs> cutting down the street with our shears and our scissors. I don't know. Brutus is stalling, strutting around the ring to some laughter. So we got underway, they were a nice leg trip straight away, but Brutus back on his feet, locks up, takes David down, who starts rolling around the floor, and Brutus managed to escape the ring. Referee actually looks like Rick Moranis here. If you don't know who Rick Moranis is, it's the specky guy, well I say specky guy for Ghostbusters, it's the specky geeky guy who gets possessed by one of the two dogs. Or if you've seen Honey, like I Shrunk the Kids, it's the da for that. That's who Rick Moranis is. Brutus scoops David, who turns it into an arm bar, which was quite, was like, fuck. You know, but David's like, that amateur wrestler, so he's like, he's used to like, rolling out any, any move or any hold or whatever, and turn it into something else. But David, he has shown some nice moves here, improving he's actually got good technique. David sends Brutus into the ropes, but Brutus blocks the shoulder. David gets back up and sends Brutus into the ropes again, gets another takedown into a double hold. Both Gorilla and Jesse put David over as a solid young competitor who's learning very well under his dad. David applied lots of amateur wrestling moves here. Brutus even has, he has to take the cheap shot to get out of the hold. Starts dropping big forearms, scoops, taking control of the match. Bruno is showing like an insert on the screen, and it's like watching as if they've kind of piped in, you know, like double screen, you know, like you get on like the Xbox or whatever, and it's like somebody's maybe put like the Sopranos or the Godfather down there, because Bruno just looks like a, he just looks like a ma an old mafia boss there. Brutus has got some shiny boots on here, I actually just noticed. Brutus sticks a nice big elbow right in David's jaw in the corner. Love that elbow, rocks on right in the corner, proper fucking heel working over. Like, I'm a, I'm a fan of like really old school heels, gets you pissed off, you know. You know, fuck you, fuck you, Bruce, I fucking hate you, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I just fucking love that. I'm a, I'm a mark for that. When David's going for holes, Brutus is just working to beat him up and wear him down. Get David Chance from the crowds, he reverses Brutus across the corner and back body drops him. The exchange blows whilst David's on his knees, David's unloading strikes. Whipping Brutus across the ropes into the boot. Goes for a suplex and hits it, David. That's David, I said. Hits a two count. And that's the first pin of the match. At this point, the match feels like it's been going on quite a while. And it's quite like, fuck, it's the first pin there. I mean, this is a proper wrestling match. I'm really enjoying this one. Brutus throws David to the outside. And Johnny scoops him on the floor onto the concrete. 
Bruno throws Johnny in the ring and starts unloading him. Brutus attacks as all hell breaks loose and the bell rings. San Martino's clear house. Brutus and Johnny are raging. Fingers in ring to give us an announcement and both teams have actually been disqualified. Double disqualification as we've got a replay of how this one ended. Absolute manic end to what was a good match. And it's like right at the point where I'm like, fuck, I'm enjoying this match. Bang. It just blows up and it's gone. But looking at the match, David's definitely there with his holds, but his strikes were a bit sloppy and poor at times, you know, sometimes like just sloppy like just like not even like as if he's punching, it was more like kinda of slap to the belly, you know. Brutus looked good as a heel here and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Brutus in the future. Jesse's so excited to be here, he said, I've got the best seat in the house. That's a terrible Jesse Wintrow though. That's me banging my head over the table. It's a terrible Jesse the Wintrow impression. I am absolutely terrible impressions and I'm shamed. I promise to not cut this out in pure art embarrassment as myself. We're only 43 minutes in here and four matches have gone down. A lot of action, but is that really a good thing that's so fast paced? I don't know. So we go backstage once again to Alfred Hayes. We see backstage it's the entrance. Jimmy Hart and Greg the Hammer Valentine walk by Alfred Hayes to a massive heat from the crowd as we go to interviews. Valentine promises to show us all why he is the Intercontinental Champion. He's in the best shape of his life. He's a lean, mean, fighting fury. JYD comes in looking all Poundland Mr. T with his chains around his neck. Barely make it a word, he says, as we get ready for our first ever WrestleMania title match. Greg the Hammer Valentine versus the Junkyard Dog for the Intercontinental Championship. We've got, fuck, we've got a one hour time limit for this one. Can you imagine if it did actually go that long? You know, like, I know like some title matches in the past had like, like, like Flair Stein, you know, going like fucking an hour or whatever, you know. But fuck, I'm actually no, no, I correct myself. It would not be fucking amazing if Greg the Hammer Valentine and Junk World Todd went an hour. I would probably fucking gouge my eyes out, actually. Sorry, guys. So, Valentine's injuries first as our current champion. JYD comes out from backstage to music. Holy fuck, there's music. Oh. And it's a nice funky number like that. JYD comes out to a big pot with his big luscious chains. He ain't no cheap Mr. Teen now. He's got thump written on his tights. His music sounds almost like funky Ghostbusters. And actually, you can actually sing. If something strange in the neighborhood, who are you gonna call? Junk, your dog. You can. <laughs> Jimmy Hart must have wrote this because it's a pure rip-off. Of an awesome. The referee checks both men as we get a good shot of the Intercontinental title. My opinion of the Tales is, uh, you know, I, I told the first time I ever watched WrestleMania, I will admit this is the second time I've ever only watched the WrestleMania one. The first time I've ever seen it, the title was just totally, I missed it. My opinions on it is that it reminds me of the cheap wrestling belt you would get on very cheap wrestling figures, I mean it's shiny enough and it looks good, yeah I'm sure back in the day it was such, wow this is beautiful but it just reminds me of like the wee belts you get off the kind of cheap wrestlers you know back when you are a kid back in the early 90s. JYD's right up for this as we get underway and they lock up JYD in an arm twist. Gorilla comments on how much weight the hammer's actually lost. Really? It, I mean, you, I, <laughs> the hammer is fat. Fucking fat. I don't know if he can run, but they're telling us he's lost quite a bit of weight and he's in good shape. I'll take your word for it, guys. 
Hammer misses a forearm as JYD does his crawling headbutt spots. We gotta test his strength! Fuck classic move! Oh my god! This is one of my first fucking holds like ever like was put in when I used to wrestle as a kid, man. I hate the test of strength. Mostly because I'm an absolute fucking weakling and I still am. All you can hear at ringside is Jimmy Hart yapping away and he doesn't even have his fucking megaphone and all you can hear is him yap, 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 yap. Like Jimmy Hart, Hart is one of the most annoying fucks to have at ringside and I think that's one of the things that people hate about the most. Just the way he fucking talks and his voice. It's like, oh. Hammer works on the legs, a tenth and a half crab. Gorilla and Jesse wonder if Hammer can even lock in the figure four on JYD's thick legs. Hammer drops a knee at a crotch area. Makes me wonder, actually, why aren't moves like that? Class of the low blow. I mean, he's technically dropping his knee on his balls. That's a low blow. You know, why is it not a low blow? Get a good shot at the rowdy New York crowd. They fucking want more of this. Both men work over the big strikes, headbutts from JYD. Jesse really puts over the power of these headbutts, like fucking, I don't know, like as if JYD's got fucking a steel head. You know, we got another shot at the crowd who now look bored at this time. Fucking really contrast there. You can see the, in the moment section on our Twitter post for uh, WrestleMania 1, you'll see both of these crowd shots. Hart distracts the referee, JYD grabs a hold of Hart. Hammer comes in with a run, Max Halbert nails Jimmy Hart. Oh no! JYD bats big stripes as Hammer knocks down JYD, cradles the legs up and gets his foot in the ropes and gets the free count. Fucking classic heel pin. Tito Santana's straight out. I mean, like, when I say straight, I mean way too quick. He's literally in the ring, like, a second or two after the free count. Telling the referee about the ropes, the referee starts counting and starts counting Hammer out. Matches then restart was restarted and JYD wins via count out. Hammer retains, but he is irate at the loss with Jimmy Hart holding him back, shouting at Tito, I'll get you for having the decision reversed. Fink announces the outcome of the match and announces JYD's the winner to a big pop from the crowds. Name music to play him out as we look at replays at the end of the match. Jesse's really not happy about the decision, says Valentine got away with it, so why the fuck did they reverse the decision? Monsoon that takes the opportunity to remind us that only title changes can happen on pinfall or submission. We go back to Alfred Hayes, who's Jr. Get a tag team match up next. The Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and Freddie Blassie come out to major heat. We go back to a pre-recorded interview with the Sheik, who calls Mean Gene Jr. Blassie predicts that he is the next tag team champions, as Oakland calls. Volkov, a commie, immediately corrected himself to Comrade Volkov. Was that intentional? The way that Oakland actually says it, it it's like a proper Freudian slip, I would say. Get interviews next with the US Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo. Mike Rotundo, as you may know, becomes Irwin R. Scheister in the future and is also the father of Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. Their manager, Lou Bano, gets injured now and he's holding a beer can and he's got this weird stringy thing hanging from his mouth. Windham and Rotundo dressed in jeans and polo here in the pre-recorded interview. Quite casual, but too casual, but it's proper 80s dress. Rotundo says all the talking is done and they'll get it done in the ring. I actually missed what Obano said because of that thing on his face. But all I picked up that he, he just thanked the people for supporting him. But this just sounded like a drunken, like, rabble 
on a previous episode of Tuesday Night Titans, Greg the Hammer Valentine did actually say that Albano likes a good beer or two, so looks like he may have had quite a few when this took place. Coming up next is our tag team title matches, US Express versus Volkov and Sheik. Introductions done by Fink, we've got another one hour time limit here, challengers are already in the ring, we've got big heat for Volkov, there's not much heat towards the Sheik though, maybe give it six years and we'll see how the heat's going then. Volkov is going to sing us the Soviet national anthem, which gets even bigger heat from the crowd. We can't actually see Volkov because it's the Madison Square Garden microphone that comes down from the ceiling. On the, the hard camera, you've just got the MSG logo covering up his face. The crowd are pelting Volkov with garbage. It actually looks like one guy's actually gesturing that he's a wanker. The Sheik says he spits in the face of America. Here come the US Express to music. Albano's g himself up. Wyndham's got a USA neckerchief on. Yeah, first sign the crowd's a USA sign for all the US Express. The thing comes back on as it becomes blatantly obvious that the music has been overdubbed on the network. Damn it, it's not fucking real. Jesse tells us that the Sheik wrestled twice for the reigning Olympic team apparently. Wyndham's got some really killer red and white cowboy wrestling boots on, it's actually pretty cool. IRS, so sorry, Rotundo and the Sheik starts off in ring, got a leapfrog and a drop kick from Rotundo. Christ, I don't think I've ever actually seen IRS, sorry, when uh, Rotundo, it's hard when you're used to these guys and the guy, like, the, the characters that become, it's hard to look at them retrospectively as anything else. Wyndham gets tagged in as both men work over the Sheik in his three quarter length trousers and patented curled toe boots. Volkov grabs Wyndham and Sheik drop gives Volkov by mistake. He apologises and then tags in the Russian, who's quite the pearly man. I mean, he's, he's wide as he is long. Rotundo and Wyndham get some quick tags working away on Volkov. Volkov rams Rotundo's face right on his Sheik's boot, not the curly part of the undersole. Big back body drop by the Sheik gets a two count and then a nice gut range suplex from the Sheik for another two. Christ, I've only really known the Sheik as the older version of the Sheik so to actually see him wrestle here is pretty impressive. Rotundo blocks and reverses a suplex for a big pop from the crowd. Volkos gets tagged in, stops Rotundo and dropping him onto the ropes. Rotundo fights to get out of the hold as the crowd chant USA, USA. Sunset flip goes into another two count. Monsoon tells us that apparently there's 25,000 plus in the garden, which we know from earlier on the show is wrong, there's about 19,000. Jesse tells us to win the gold, you need to do what you need to do to get the gold, i.e. money, as we see Blasi and Albano squaring up outside the ring. She cooks in a abdominal stretch but gets out and get a hot tag to Wyndham who unloads heavy on Volkov. Gets a bulldog from Volkov in the corner but she breaks the pin. Tundo drop kicks the Sheik, who instead of going backwards to fall at the ring, literally steps to his right and casually climbs out to the ring through the ropes. Interesting because actually watching that, like, hits the drop kick, and you would think you can a natural body movement to fall back quite easily and just fall out. But obviously, the Sheik doesn't want to fall back, thinking obviously that there's the hard concrete floor exposed. So, he'll just casually step out of the ring, you know, I'll just step outside, lads, it's alright. Referee gets distracted, trying to get the tundle out. Sheik hits Wyndham with a cane, and Volkov gets the free count for the win. 
Fucking Lou Albano is raging. The thing announces that we have new tag team champions as the winners celebrate in the ring. Our first title change at WrestleMania. Sheik tells us now number one as they get pelted with a lot more fucking garbage in the ring. They get replays of the cane shot, which breaks in two. Monsoon is absolutely shocked and outraged at the title change, but hypes the action we've just seen. We go back to the locker room as the new tag team champions are interviewed by Mean Gene. Blassie claims he had no cane. Gene Mean! Sheik goes again and says they've proven themselves to be the best. I actually feel sorry for the US Express here, a great tag team, they came across really well in the match, it's good wrestling moves but the old school, you know the old guard even if you call them a Volkov and the Sheik, you know resonating strong here by picking up the heelish win, and the tail change just to piss everybody off. Back to Hayes, this is a most intriguing match he says to Ginu, $15,000 are up for grabs in a body slam match. Big John stood against Andre the Giant in a dispute about who the real giant of WWF is. Andre doesn't win, he is out of here, he will retire. We go back to the pre pre usual pre-recorded interviews with Mean Gene and it's Bobby the Brain Heenan, the weasel is here. Big John stud says, oh this bag is heavy. Because, you know, $15,000 of paper is actually heavy, isn't it? The Brain constantly tells Mean Gene to keep his hands off the money as Oakland tries to help himself, causing some money to spill on the floor. I'm sure Mean Gene will you know, step on that and pick that up for later. Back out to ringside is Jesse and Monsoon here and hype the action that we are seeing. Brain and John Studd are actually in the ring at this point. Nice sparkly black jacket modelled by the brain. You know, the man's got style. Fig says this is one fault to finish, but if Stud is slammed, he loses the money. But if Andre doesn't slam Stud, he retires. Wait, so is this a wrestling match or is it a body slam match? We've heard two conflicting stories here. We see a wee boy in the crowd, he's got a sign, Andre the Giant plus $15,000. Here comes Andre wearing tights that would probably cover me whole. Stud taunts Andre with the money. Brain wants the money to hold but the referee gives it ringside. We get a stud the dud sign as stud goes straight after Andre. But Andre reverses him right in the corner and we get big massive Andre the Giant chops. Woo! He then boots stud and send them outside. You know, every time I actually hear stud's name, I'm actually really close to actually like saying my own name by accident. Like I feel like perhaps if I was to give myself a wrestler name, my name should be Big John Studdart. You know, consider my name is actually John Stoddart. Changing one later makes me sound like a wrestler. We got a close-up of Andre's shoes. Jesse says they must be a size 24, and you know what that means, people. Big shoes, big feet. Andre's choking stud in the corner. Brain is screaming at the referee to break it. Andre's squashing him in the corner. When I say squashing him, he's basically just leaning against him for a breather. Stud goes for the slam attempt but can't get him up, and Andre locks a bear hug in. The crowd start chanting, slam, slam, slam. They really want Andre to go for it, but the bear hug is still locked in. Stud tries to rake the eyes, but Andre will not let go of the bear hug. I mean, surely Andre isn't gassed at this point. I mean, he's barely moved. Finally, the bear hug is Andre locks another headlock in. Great. So, so one criticism I've got of Andre Giant, he's so loved, but he gasses so easily. Monsoon says that Andre is the biggest heart in wrestling. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock, he's fucking massive. He's got like fucking something the size of a cow as a heart. 
Monsoon corrects Fink's mistake by saying that this is purely a salam match and no falls. Andre can barely get his leg up to kick. I mean, the man can't move and the pace is just so slow. It doesn't work as a face here. Later down the line, we see Andre as a heel and he works much better as a heel. The kicks that he's trying to hit are more to defy than anywhere. But then out of nowhere, Andre picks stood up and slams him for the win to a massive pop. It's actually the biggest pop in the night so far. Andre the Giant wins. Andre the Giant is handed the money by the referee and starts throwing it to the crowd. But the brain's got other ideas here. He's straight in, steals the bag and escapes with John Stud. The crowd really do love Andre here. As I said, like my main criticism is he's slow, worker, you know, but he is a legend, you know, obviously pre this roommate WrestleMania fake kind of era, like he was a lot bigger as a star, you know. But as I said, I, 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 from what I've seen of Andre, like I prefer him as a heel, as we'll see as we get to WrestleMania 3. In the whole match, we had one slam attempt each. Stud failed to slam him, but Andre slammed on his only attempt. Monsoon claims the crappy kicks from Andre. Well, he didn't say crappy kicks. I'm describing it as the crappy kicks. But he des describes that the kicks softened Stud for the slam, making it easier to pick him up. Go backstage to our post-match interview with Oakland, who's with Andre, who's like, Where's the money? Where's the money? Terrible Andre impression. Sorry, guys, but it's to give you an idea if you've not seen it. Andre doesn't care where the money is, as he showed the world that he could do it, and he ain't returned. He's going nowhere. Andre actually tries to cut a promo on Stud, but we are cut straight back to Jesse and Monsoon to discuss what's called the slam here to run the world. Now, that's not that slam, because we've got another two years to wait for that. Back to Alfred Hayes, who gets a kiss from the passing fabulous Muller and Lulilani Kai. He says that this is the first of our rock and wrestle connection matches. And we'll go back to a pre-recorded interview with Cindy Lauper and Richter. Fuck. Oh, I hate Cindy Lauper. Can't stand her music. Really fucking can't stand her music. And then I got to hear her talk. She just sounds like an annoying teenager. And I wish someone would just shut her up. Oakland turns around and gets shot at Elton John standing before him. Actually, it's just the fabulous Miller. She's wearing Elton John-esque sunglasses. He asks where Miller got them from. She said you had them made from Minjula. Don't think so, mate. It's Elton John gave you them. It's straight out of his catalogue. Jean says don't tell Ventura about them because he'll be straight in there to nick them, obviously. You know, with his bandana and his badass tux that we've seen earlier on. I really didn't expect Lilani Kai to sound a bit of a hick, despite the fact she's actually from Hawaii. I mean, she comes across as like pure trailer park. So out comes Richter to overdubbed music. It sounds like a cross between Depeche Moon and Duran Duran. We see the famous shot of Lopart and Richter running out, and some guy's running him. Don't know who the fuck that is, but I'm told it's David Wolf, Cindy Lopart's manager. Actually, kind of realise that at this point, the song is a ripoff of Eurasia. Sometimes. Jesse and Monsoon hate this event again. Feel it all with hair film is how better this is than the Super Bowl. But we'll see guys. Don't jump to conclusions yet. Eh? 
I get that they're trying to put this over, but it's just the same line over and over again. It's like they're forced me to down your fucking throat. Take her. This is fucking WrestleMania. Give me a fucking like that's, that's what it honestly feels like at this point, because they've said it that fucking much. Underway here is both girls lock up. The referee from the Intercontinental title matches out, who, which I've got to mention actually during which he was really fucking delighted to count out Hammer Valentine. And if you go into Twitter and look at moments, you'll see the corresponding picture. Lilanica is the more famous here. I'm used to the divas, but actually seeing proper fucking wrestling holes here is really weird. But it's really good to actually watch. Whoppers there at ringside wearing some sort of top hat for people with small heads. The fabulous one according to Ginu is so permed that the colour makes it hard to see an actual face. We got a rundown earlier in matches including nine second Bundy win against SD Jones. Watching these two, Leilani looks like the mum whose husband has been sleeping with a skank from high school. I'm sorry to call you a skank there Wendy but looking at this visually that's what this match actually looks like. Muller gets a hold of Richter's hair as Lopper hits Muller with what looks like a teddy bear? It's hard to actually see what it is, but I actually thought, why the fuck is she hitting her with like Bobo the bear? But I think she actually made a caught Richter at one point too. Richter hits what looks like a reverse attitude adjustment for a two count. It's a really fucking impressive mood. Attempts a monkey flip from the corner, but Kai Smartland has a backbreaker for a two. Kai then goes up top, hits a cross body. Richter rolls her over and gets the free count and wins the title. Immediately, fucking all hell breaks loose as Loper goes after Muller, but her manager, David Wolf, the BJ reject, breaks it up. Kai attacks Richter and the Muller trips over herself and flops forward. For a second, I thought we were going to get the worm. It's like the way she went down slow motion. It was like, W-O-R-M, worm! Fink announces a winner and the new champ is the Erasure ripoff by Jimmy Hart plays again. And to be honest, I feel like that big move from Richter. You know, the kind of reverse look AA looker. Really should have finished off. It came from nowhere and it f- she fucking nailed it. Like, that should have been a free count. But instead, what we actually get is Richter kind of half botching the rollover. Which is why the confusing pin happened to finish here. Oakland doesn't ready to interview the diva that he is. He interviews Richter. Lopper danced about looking like the guy out of fucking madness in the Must Be Love song. Oh god, that fucking voice. Oh, yeah, 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 kicking about in the background. One in any action. And this now leads us, ladies, gentlemen, up to the fucking big one. The most extravagant wrestling match of all time. This is our main event, which will see Hulk Hogan and Mr. T take on Roddy Piper and Paul Ondorf. Bit of a story with this one guys, so let's take the time to go through it. Round about in January 84, Hulk Hogan became the WWE F champion and then spent the next year beating up all the heels and the bad guys, you know, in the company. Roddy Piper came in round about 84 as well and started humiliating all the faces on his talk show Piper Pit, which is so adoringly loved by all. In addition, Piper was actually the manager of several ref- wrestlers that Hogan actually fought. Round this time, Cindy Lauper burst onto the scene. Lou Albano appeared in a couple of music videos and his involvement in those videos led to her getting involved in the world of professional wrestling. Two made many appearances on Piper's pit where Piper and Lopper verbally sparred with one another. Her verbal issues became physical in December 84. 
That night at Madison Square Garden, Hulk Hogan presented Cindy with an award. After Hogan left the ring, Piper proceeded to smash the award over the head of Albano, kicked Lopper and then power slammed her manager, David BG Reject Wolf. A few months later, when MinTV broadcasted the award to settle the score, that event, Mr T saved Lopper from being beaten up by Piper. On Tuesday Night Titans, prior to WrestleMania, they summarised the events that led up to this main event, showing Albano being smashed over the head with an award he receives from Lopper for helping those with multiple sclerosis. I'm going to be honest, that's fucking disgusting heel tactics, you know. Getting an award to help people out with an illness like that. I mean, suppose it puts Piper over as a fucking real badass heel, you know, top heel at the time. But, come on, fuck, man, not multiple sclerosis, man. Also, Piper's pit once broadcasted from a set of the A-team, where Piper, to his face, ran down Mr. T, who challenged him to a fight. Hogan and Piper, from the water set of score, went on off and Orton both interfered to attack Hogan during the match, which Mr. T then got involved in and set up our tag team main event. On St. Patrick's Day, Piper held a special Piper's pit at Madison Square Garden, where Mr. T was invited to join him, but instead, Paul Orndorff came out Making monkey gestures. Another sign of the times, folks. It was alright to be racist, apparently. When Mr. T finally came out, he came out looking like some kind of Egyptian pharaoh covered in gold and was accompanied by Hogan and Snooker, during which Mr. T was presented with a painting of himself in Hogan esque trunks and various casts. All the pictures were painted by Piper themselves and were fucking absolute geniuses. Also, in the same episode of Tuesday Night Titans, Oakland visited Billy Martin at a bar where Billy Martin admitted that he wasn't even a fan of wrestling and didn't know much about it. His inclusion was purely as a celebrity for the New York crowd. As for Liberace, well, his family were all wrestling fans at which is quite surprising, especially his mother. Unless you see the small interview with Mean Gene on Tuesday Night Titans, you'll wonder why was Liberace involved, was he just famous? No, he's actually a celebrity who's a genuine fan of wrestling and was probably really hard to come by at that time. On the same episode of Tuesday Night Titans, we get Hulk Hogan and Mr. T's training regime. This is fucking comedy gold, folks. So we start off with them going to the store and buying the good stuff. You know, we're going to have to make another circle here, man, because that's all that hot protein on that other road. All right, wheels, wheels, man. And back here, they got my favorite juice. Let's, let's get the juice right now. All, all right, right. Sounds fix good. me up my favorite juice here. For me, double for me, and triple double for the Hulkster. <laughs> all right, because we're going to get the Piper. Don't get on dark. All right, what you got here? All right, this is a little, uh, uh, well, what is this here? Carrot juice. Carrot juice, yeah, carrot juice is good. All right, what's this here right here? Wheatgrass, all right, let's try some of this wheatgrass. You ever had some wheatgrass? I don't know about that, it's man. It's good, you know, man. It hey, makes you mean. It makes you mean. The only thing I don't want, I don't want no milk in my protein. Hey, don't back. put no milk no in milk. it. Milk. No milk for babies. Uh -huh. no, no milk, no milk, no milk. All right, put some milk, car grease, motor oil, anything in there, but milk. Now, what's this here is right here? What is this here? Wheatgrass, wheatgrass. Wheat, oh, wheat well, we ain't gonna mess with that because it's that grass, you know, we no, don't no, mess no, no grass. No, no, no. All right, grass, but we can eat some wheat bread, though. No? 
What uh, wheat bread? Let's see. Uh, uh, where, where the wheat bread? All right, where's the wheat bread? Hurry up with the juices, cause we're hungry. All right, we just got no, these pumping. That, that ninety percent protein, no fat. Protein, no, no fat, no fat. And give me a couple of them bananas. All right, couple of them bananas. And get the orange, get the good stuff in here. All right, all right. You want the bananas, man? Mm, Banana, man. potassium, whatever it is. All right, it's good. So we eat this here while we're waiting on to make the juices and whatnot. You know, when you talked about guerrilla warfare, man, yeah, man, I didn't know we were going to eat bananas, but the thing is, bananas, bananas make you swing, man. Swing to the feet. You swing off the rope, man, grab them. Bananas swing, man. You know, jungle, gorillas. Gorilla wall, yeah. That's I right, it. man. Okay. Yeah, that one almost went over my head, T. That's right, man. It's all right, man. It's all I right. I you are going to be this it's serious, right, man. man. Look at me split, man. You have me pumping that iron, baby. Man, I'm ready, man. This is your drink, right? All right, you try something, all right? Do you like it, huh? All right. Jesus, T, what is this? That's all right, man. That's all right. Makes you mean, man. Makes hair on your I head, think you man. Get something different. All right, like switch, it. switch, switch. All right. All right. Ah. Man, that is terrible. It's rough, man, but it makes you mean. Keep me mean, man. So you, you drink some of this here, I'll tell you, really be ready. I pity the food. I pity them. They're dead meat. Dead meat, that's why I say it. Fuck, how many times does Mr. C.T. say good stuff in this? Also, they keep talking to somebody that's trying to make them juice, but there's nobody there. And there's like, you hear like somebody walking about, yeah, wheat grass. You know, like fucking hell, man. Then we move on for the training gym to Hulk Hogan showing Mr. T New York. But Mr. T really just wants to get into Central Park. The reason he wants to get in there is because he wants to take down the muggers. He wants to make the place decent, but decent people. You know, Mr. T, this is New York City, just like I told your brother. Hulk country, you're kind of people, daddy. Just like the south side of Chicago. The biggest buildings, the wildest people. Check it out, the Empire State Building. And back there, check those two buildings out, man. The World Trade Center. Dig it, man. Just like us, man. It's tough and big and strong. I know that, man, but I want to see the other part of New York, man. I want to show you Central Park, man. What do you mean? What do you, we go to Central Park, man, and take up the muggers. If we take clear up the muggers in Central Park, we ready for a pipe on Orndorff. Every, every mugger we see in Central Park, we run low, we jump on them, beat them up, make it deep for decent people around here. That's what we want to do. You know, T, this is a different kind of training. That's street fighting you've been telling That's me about, That's what I'm going right? to tell you about it, yeah. You've been teaching me wrestling. I want to show you how to street fight. Show me the way, All right, man. we got to do Take it, man. Let's All right, go. let's go, man. Come let's on, go. Let's do it. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, baby, come on. 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 Come
All right, baby. 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 You know, T, when we talked about the combat zone, I didn't know you meant guerrilla warfare. That's right. That's cool. Central Park, beating up all the bumps. You took out a ready for the combat zone. You got it, man. Now, the icing on the cake. The icing on the cake. Let's go hang and bang. Get that pump back. Remember the eye of the tiger. The eye of the tiger. Get hungry, man. Get hungry. Let's do it. Come on, let's go. Come on. Mr. T's constant. But ain't Hogan, come on, I want to go beat up some fucking muckers. It's absolutely brilliant. They run through the park and climb a mountain, as Mr. T calls it, but really it's a bunch of rocks. There's fucking, there's, like, in this clip as well, like, there's great stuff. The last part of their training regime is the fucking classic, like, proper Rocky-esque montage. The two of them working out in the gym, and it's the grunt fest to end all grunt fests and I'm just going to let you listen to this right now They then board the train, surrounded by fans, you know, because Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, despite the money they make, they can't afford a taxi, they can't afford chauffeurs, they're going to take the metro, just like good, decent people. And then they cut promo about the combat zone in Madison Square Garden. The, the fucking, the training regime here is absolutely brilliant, like this, these vignettes are absolute pure comedy gold. At the time, it's like, it's all about pure storytelling. Hogan's really training Mr. T up to wrestle here. Let's hope it pays off, but I certainly had a, an absolute blast listening to these training clips and it was only by chance I actually thought to watch some of the Tuesday Night Titans. I've never seen them before. I may even review a few of them, to be honest, because some of them are pretty bad. It's WWF's attempt at doing a talk show with Vince McMahon hosting and Alfred Tase as his foil if you will it's main event time folks the thing brings out our guest ring announcer Billy Martin the former New York Yankees coach he gets a good reaction from his home crowd he's described as one of the greatest baseball managers in history wait a minute who's that referee he looks awfully familiar that's the first intercontinental champion Pat Patterson I didn't even actually realise that Pat Patterson started refereeing that's quite a surprise to me the Fink helps direct Martin to read his cue cards. Liberace is announced as our guest timekeeper, and God, this man is really is creepy. He's accompanied by four of the Rockets. They dance in the middle of the ring, giving it big licks. Fun fact for you, the first time I heard Liberace, I thought it was actually related to Mussolini. Apparently not, it turns out. 
Ventura tells us that there are 1.2 million viewers in 24 countries. Really? I thought this was just going out in kind of close circuit in America. We can't hear Martin speak for all the Ali chants. And here comes our guest referee, the one and only legend, Muhammad Ali. He's, we also see Jose Torres at ringside accompanying Ali out. It'll be interesting to actually see what involvement, you know, the champ, as we'll call him, has in this match as referee. Our first team come out as we start to hear drums, and it's Bagpipe City, according to Jesse Ventura, as Scotland the Brave gets played to a pipe band, heralding the entrance of one Rowdy Roddy Piper, the man from Glasgow, Scotland. Piper must a wonderful pawn on or make their way to ringside, accompanied with Cowboy Bob on with that legendary cast on. Apparently that cast has been on for the best part of two years, and, and on in a previous episode of Tuesday Night Titans, Vince McMahon even questioned whether or not he was still healing or not. We'll see if the cast comes into play later on. And now here comes the Dream Team. Now when I watched this on DVD in my WrestleMania box in for the first time, it was the only entrance in the whole event with music, real American. Getting to hear it, again here it is, fucking awesome. But you can tell from the pop from the crowd that the music has even been overdubbed, despite the fact it was actually played in the arena. We see the WWF champ Hulk Hogan and Mr T in his boxing robe with Motherfly Superfly Jimmy Snooker in tow. Crowd absolutely love the Hulkster. Hogan is just he is the star of the golden era. He actually proved that you could have a face of wrestling. The crowd are absolutely hot for this as we get ready for a match. Hogan actually looks quite young here because he's still got most of his hair. We find out that Muhammad Ali is going to be assigned as the outside referee in the match. So he's not really going to be involved in the actual match, he's just really outside the ring as Pat Parson is going to be our main referee here. Ondorf threatens Hogan and Mr T with a broom that he breaks in two. Liberace is about to ring the bell but he's too busy playing with something in his hand which I can't make out. It turns out he's got a mini bell to ring. Alright. Ondorf actually looks like some kind of Greek god according to Jesse Ventura. I mean, the, like, visually speaking, Ondorf, his tagline, you know, Mr. Wonderful, like, is based on his physique. The man is buff. Hogan and Ondorf are going to kick us off here as the bell is rung, Liberace ringing his little bell. So, we actually find out that Ali's not refereeing the match and Liberace isn't actually ringing the bell. It's all for show, folks. Ondorf and Hogan look to square off, but Ondorf decides, nap, nap. Ain't gonna happen, and ask Piper if he wants in. So it's actually Piper and Hogan that's gonna kick us off here. Crowd actually screaming for Mr. T. I mean, they're really, they're really hot here like this. The crowd are really fired up for this one as Mr. T gets tagged in. I don't actually know if you could call it a hot tag. I mean, it's the way the crowd are kind of building up, like, yeah, tag him in, tag him in. It's got all the hallmarks of a hot tag, but I'm not actually sure if you can call it a hot tag because you don't have the typical, you know, heels beating down the face, you know, building up to it. But the reaction from the crowd gives you that kind of feel. So Piper and Mr T square up to each other. If Piper was really was, was Scottish, he would have stuck the nut in him and knocked his ass to the floor. They exchange slaps as Piper takes Mr T down to the ground. Monsoon says Piper's riding tea. Steady one, gorilla. As long as it doesn't say Mr T's getting tea bagged off of Piper. Piper and T now lock up, but Mr T throws him off. He actually looks like he's really going to give us a go. 
Mr T picks Piper up for a famine's carry and drops him down. Mr T's really going to try and wrestle here, but it looks at folks. Piper puts him in a corner. All four men go at it. Ali comes into the ring to stop Orton. Snooker's up on the top rope, but just jumps down as no one entertains him. Ali takes a swipe at Piper, then Orton to get out of the ring. All that's missing here is for Ali to actually dance, as the crowd keep chanting Ali, Ali. They really want him to get involved in this here. Piper calls for a timeout as they all head back to the dressing room. Hogan's absolutely covered in sweat here, but he's done nothing. He's not, he's not even actually moved. Pat Patterson starts the count, but Hogan is pleading with him not to count him up. He wants him back in the ring, and they actually come out at Hogan's command. All four men go at it as Hogan and Mr T bump Orndorff and Piper's heads together. Piper gets whipped across the ring in a clothesline in the corner from Hogan as he bumps both Orndorff and Piper's heads again. We get an atomic drop to Piper's. Hogan starts pounding Piper's head off the canvas. I mean, surely that's quite a heelish move, but not for the Hulkster. Piper tries to come back as they exchange eye rakes. Hogan tags Mr. T in and they do a double clothesline on Roddy Piper. Mr. T scoop slams Piper and then hits a really fast hip toss on Orndorff who runs in. Like it was the actual reaction of Mr. T to hip toss him was quite impressive actually. It was total reactionary. He gives another scoop to Piper and headbutts Orndorff. Hogan gets tired back in as Piper is dazed. We get a big boot by Hogan sending Piper backwards to the outside. Orndorff sneaks up and clothesline Hogan to the outside. Piper hits Hogan with a padded chair. No DQ here, apparently. Pat Patterson holds Mr. T back as Wondorf puts Hogan back in the ring. Considering there's two referees here, neither of them have actually got a grip on this match. I mean, Ali's just... Not that he looks lost out there, he's just not involved. Wondorf works on Hogan in the corner. Hogan's in real trouble here, but it's set up for the classic big Hogan comeback, surely. Pat Patterson's still holding Mr. T back, dragging him back across the ring. Mr. T just really doesn't give a fuck here. He's just constantly trying to get in at it, get in at it. Double atomic drop and Hogan. Ali is in the ring over at Piper. Ondorf is wanting the tag here. Mr. T keeps climbing in the ring though. Like, I don't think he fully gets the build up to a hot tag here. He keeps running in and it's, it's kind of ruining, like, a build up to a hot tag, but at the same time, it's kind of putting over that Mr. T really just wants involved in this match. He'll do anything to get in here. Piper hits Hogan with a big right hand and knee lift, gets a two count. Orndorff gets tagged in and goes up top, hits an elbow to the back of Hogan's neck, gets a two count. Hogan's scooped into a nice backbreaker. Orndorff's up top again but misses the elbow drop. Hogan's crawling over to Mr. T who's stretching out and gets the tag. It's not really a hot tag, to be honest. This is what I'm saying, like, Mr. T constantly trying to run into the ring, you know, it's kind of, they could have really built this up here. Mr. T gets beat down by Ondorf and Piper as Ali tells Patterson to get a grip. Mr. T's starting to look quite sloppy here, he's adopting that kind of street style, style, according to Grill Monsoon. Mr. T gets stuck in a chin lock, he's trying to get out and eventually gets out but literally falls in the corner and doesn't even tag Hogan. But we're told the tag is made. Hogan bashes both Ondorf and Piper's head. Back suplex from Ondorf. Piper's now being stopped by Patterson from getting in. As Orton and Snooker come in. Ondorf has got Hogan in a full Nelson here. Piper's going to go in, but Mr. T stands in the corner waiting on a cue and eventually gets in the way to stop Piper from attacking Hogan. Orton's up top, but Nils Ondorf with his cast. Their cast comes into play. Snooker takes care of Orton as Hogan gets the pin. One, two, three. Hogan and Mr. T win this clusterfuck of a main event. No classic Hogan comeback here, folks, as Piper knocks out Pat Patterson and they leave with their heads high. Mr. T checks on Paul Ondorf 
as he goes into a fit of rage, no idea where he is, putting over the shot from the cast that knocked him out. Hogan starts the classic Hulk Hogan poses as our celebrities join him in ring to celebrate. Liberace and Ali get their arms raised, Mr T starts bowing to the crowd in appreciation. In general, Mr T actually started off looking quite decent here, he, was, he looked like he was really going to give it a good go with the wrestling, but he gassed quite quickly and got sloppy. Like, as the replay the finish showed, look, Mr T, it's, it's only half, it's like half a second, but it looks like he was really slow again to stop Piper from attacking Hogan to break up and then set the actual finish where Orton jumps off the top rope and nails Orton off with a cast. Alfred Tays described on Tuesday Night Titans a week prior that this was going to be the most exciting match ever in wrestling history. Did it live up to the hype? No, it didn't. Really what I was looking for was the classic Hogan comeback for the win. See if they had that there, this would have been a decent main event. Mr T, like I said, he, he trained really well and he really did try to go for it. He didn't take it lightly. You get celebrities that come in and they're just, they're absolutely, they're pathetic in the ring, you know, it's like, you're needing other guys to put over their moves, you know, but Mr T did come in and, you know, he gave it a good bash. Our runners head back through the crowd as we go back to Mean Gene, who interviews him. Mr T says it was rough out there, he trained hard, trained for a long time, he didn't take it lightly, and it for no wimps. Here comes Hogan. Hulk Hogan hitting out with a classic quote, WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan, Mr T, Superfly, Jimmy Snooker, We Reign Supreme, can you dig that? Just missing them saying sucker at the end there. Hogan starts by saying he got, he got turned on by Mr T. Oof. Steady on Hulk, like we listened to some of the training ones, like you guys kind of seem to get on really well, but come on. He hypes up that Snooker, he could have taken them all out. As Snooker looks at Hogan like, no nah, mate, you couldn't have. Snooker calls Hogan Brother Hawk. Hogan tells us that Teen Snooker will be around for a long time. We go back to ringside now as the crowds are leaving. Jesse says this won't be the last we've heard of Piper Nondorf. Monsoon thanks us all for joining us and WrestleMania signs off. So it signs off with some classic 80s dance music and credits with still images looking back over the event. It's like a shitty 80s cop show theme really. The images are quite bloody, but this is our first WrestleMania outro package. And ladies and gentlemen, that was WrestleMania 1. Couple of wee facts for you there. This is the only WrestleMania where the WWF or E Championship was not on the line. And Pat Patterson, who refereed the main event, is the only intercontinental champion not to wrestle at a WrestleMania event, apparently. So, as we now move on, we will move on to the kind of aftermath section of WrestleMania. So, how was WrestleMania received? Well, one quote we got from John Powell of Slam Wrestling is, The main event match itself isn't a classic, but what it lacks in scientific display, it makes for up for in humour. I kind of disagree with that comment. It didn't really make up for anything in humour. It, it was a decent match. It was okay. Like I said, see if it had the classic Hogan comeback at the end. The main event itself would have been good. Actually, going on the back of what John Powell said there, some other kind of comments from him was that he rated the whole event as average, citing that it wasn't the greatest. Despite this, he did praise several moments, including Orton hitting Orton off with his cast, King Kong Bundy's win, and Andre the Giant throwing the money into the crowd. However, he did say that Mr T was his least favourite part of this event. In contrast, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated awarded the main event match its annual Match of the Year honour. And the event was also including a July 2007 special that aired on the MSG Network. 
entitled The 50 Greatest Moments at Madison Square Garden, ranking at number 30. In the December 2002 issue of Wrestling Digest, the main event matchup was Lissy's number 5 in the most memorable 25 matches of the past 25 years. Echoing Powell's thoughts, Kevin Eck of Wrestling Digest stated the match itself was far from technical wrestling classic, but it delivered in terms of entertaining the crowd. In another article written by Keith Laurier, main event was ranked third in the top 10 matches in WrestleMania history. In contrast to Paul Laurier believed that Mr T proved to be an adequate grappler, which I agree with that comment, like he really did, like I said, I keep saying, he did really get his best goal. So the aftermath of WrestleMania, due to the success of this event, within a few months, WWF released an album, produced wrestling thinkers, broadcast a Saturday morning cartoon show and a TV show for NBC, and Hulk Hogan even appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Within a few years, all of Vince's competitors would go out of business. Overall, WrestleMania was a success. About three months after WrestleMania, Greg Valentine lost the Intercontinental title back to Tito Santana in a cage match. About the same time, Volkov and The Sheik lost the tag titles to the, back to the US Express. They held the title until August when the team of Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine, later known as the Dream Team, became the new champs. After Andre defeated John Studd, Studd formed a tag team with King Kong, Bundy, and the duo faced Andre and Hulk Hogan on a number of occasions. Later, the team of Studd and Bundy teamed up in handicap matches, which are two against one wrestle match against Andre, which renewed the feud between Andre and Studd. In late 85, Richter lost her women's championship in controversial fashion. She wrestled a masked female known as the Spider Lady, who pinned Richter to win the title. After the match, the Spider Lady was revealed to be the fabulous Miller. The finish was a screw drop, and Richter was unaware of the plan change. She left the, the company thereafter, and Muller held the title for around two years. In a new storyline after WrestleMania, Roddy Piper began training Bob Orton as a boxer. Hulk Hogan accepted a challenge on behalf of Mr T to face Orton in a match on February 15, 1986 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. After Mr T won the match, Orton and Piper attacked him, leading to a boxing match being set up for WrestleMania 2 between Roddy Piper and Mr T. In May 1985, WWE broadcasted the first instalment of Saturday Night's Main Event on NBC, returning to national TV. Main event saw Hulk Hogan beat Roddy Piper's bodyguard Bob Orton. Hogan would spend the next few months feuding with other heels while Piper feuded with Orndorff because of their WrestleMania loss. In November 7th, 1985, the WWE held their first pay-per-view card called the Wrestling Classic. We will actually look at the Wrestling Classic, it is basically a tournament. And also at that event, Hulk Hogan defended the WWE Championship against Piper. Like all the previous matches, this one ended inconclusively as Hogan won by DQ due to the interference of Bob Orton. A few months later, Piper would start his Hollywood career, which would lead to the first of his many retirements in 87. So that is the basic aftermath of WrestleMania. Overall, WrestleMania was a success because, well, you know it's a success because here we are, 30 odd down the line now. With the first one out of the way, all we've got left to do here is actually look at our final summary. In our summary section, where like, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, or towards the start, we'll look at things like the colony, if we see any signs, any botches, we'll pick a man of the hour, any breakout stars, or match of the night, and then lastly, before we give it the 10 count, we'll actually analyse the time and ring versus the pay-per-view length. So with our call of night, it goes to Jesse Ventura. Woodstock was to rock and roll what WrestleMania is to wrestling. Absolutely spot on there, Jesse, and couldn't be truer. Woodstock is regarded as the greatest music festival of all time. WrestleMania is now described as it's described as the big event that everyone looks forward to every year. And if you disagree with that, 
what you have to ask is why do so many people around the world spend so much money, takes all the time off the work to travel to America to see WrestleMania? WrestleMania draws in the crowd, the name of the event draws it itself. So Jesse's comment there is spot on in as our call tonight. The stud, the dud sign is our sign of the night as it's the first in a long line, well, long, long line of derogatory fan signs. Our blotch of the night, I'm going to actually give this to the finish of the Women's Championship match. Mostly because Wendy Richter actually had to kind of shuffle herself to get the role and almost got a count on herself. Special mention in the blotches uh, to Fabulous Miller for tripping over herself and nearly giving us the worm. Our man of the hour, I guess I'm actually going to give this to Mr T, believe it or not. The show was really built up for Mr T to come in and win here. It was his intervention, albeit missed time slightly, that led to our finish. I guess naturally it has to be the choice really here because, like I said, it was kind of geared around him coming up here. And based on kind of training, I know the, the, the vignettes are absolutely hilarious, but the purpose of them was to put over that Mr T was, wasn't coming in here and taking it slightly. He was coming in and training seriously and he was up for this. So Mr T is our man of the hour. Our breakout star tonight, I'm going to give to Brutus Beefcake. Whilst David San Martino was there with the holes in that, Brutus really made him look better in what was a good match. But I'm actually going to give the Beefcake San Martino match my match in the night. I really enjoyed that. It was a great match. It took ages before the first pin was held. I was just disappointed with the ending because it was a really great match and it just ended. But it was the match I most enjoyed over the course of the night. And lastly, here we go. WrestleMania 1 lasted for a total of 2 hours. 16 minutes and 13 seconds. The time added up of each match. Now, they, they claim that the Bundy Jones match was 9 seconds. We are going on the official time, bell to pinfall, of 25 seconds. The entire length of each match in WrestleMania was 1 hour and 57 seconds, leading a difference of 1 hour, 15 minutes and 16 seconds. Less than half of WrestleMania 1 was actual matches, which at times is quite surprising when at one point I actually said the action's fucking fast here, it's just constant, 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 but over an hour and 15 minutes of this isn't matches, and that's really surprising. Just before I go into the 10 count, I'm going to actually look at the appearance tracker. Now what I've been actually doing in preparation for this podcast is writing down every person who appears at WrestleMania and chart how many times they appear. So I'm only really going to talk about the guys who make their debuts, which obviously everyone makes their debut, but also the guys who don't appear ever again. So from WrestleMania 1, sadly, The Executioner, Special Delivery Jones, Bruno San Martino, Wendy Richter, and thank God, Cindy Lauper make their one and only appearances. I'm not going to miss any of them. I'm going to be honest with you. Well, Jones' match, he only lasted like seconds. Executioner, like I said earlier on, try to hype him up as if he's going to be this badass. He was just a jobber, basically. Wendy Richter, as we've discussed, she gets screwed jobs, so she leaves in a mood. And the less said about Cindy Lopper the better. Thank God she's fucking gone. Oof. And now, folks, the moment you've been waiting for WrestleMania 1's 10 count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
So despite the fact it actually feels like there's constant action here, really you're talking over half of the show was filler material or interviews, which quite was disappointing when at one point I was commenting upon there's there's a lot of action here, this feels like it's fucking fast. And that is going to leave me give it a seven count. Whilst there's disappointed by the time when you see actually written down, the quality match itself was actually pretty good. I really did enjoy WrestleMania one. And that about does it, folks, for the debut episode of the WrestleMania podcast. <sighs> oh my god, I cannot believe I've made it. Like I said, folks, the whole point in this was a kind of proof of concept. I wanted to prove I could actually do this. I've never podcasted before. And if you've got to this point, can I just say thank you? Thank you so much for actually sticking with me this far. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've liked it, more importantly. And actually, I honestly can't thank you enough for just sticking this far. I realise I've probably been talking here for the best part of nearly two hours. So, to listen to one guy talking himself for two hours, like, God bless you. So, I said, that's us. That's WrestleMania 1 in the books. Our next episode, of course, is going to be WrestleMania 2. What we'd like for you to do in the meantime is please get involved with us on social media. On Twitter, you can find us at WrestleManiaPod. Also, it's the same handle on our Facebook page at WrestleManiaPod. Please like, follow, share us, tweet us with your comments and feedback on this episode. You can also additionally drop us an email at WrestleManiaPodcast at gmail.com giving your thoughts on WrestleMania, favourite moments and matches, and also get in touch with us to be including Postman Pat Parsons' Intercontinental Mailbag. Please... Tweet us with your opinions, folks. Please get involved. The more involvement I get from you, the better this can become. A couple of apologies. I'm sorry about the sound quality. If it's not the best, fingers crossed it's going to work. And we're going to see what's come. I've really enjoyed this. I'll be honest with you, I've really enjoyed doing this. From the beginning, from inception to doing this, I'm glad I've done it and I'm going to keep doing this. I just hope that you will continue to join me on the ride. So that about does it for the debut episode of the WrestleMania podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Please stick with us as we continue to improve the podcast, hopefully adding more contact and even bonus episodes over time. Our journey to immortality has only begun, WrestleManiacs. Join us next time as we go east to west and check out WrestleMania 2. I've been your host, John Stewart, and in the words of the Wyatt family, we're here.